Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this Tuesday, November the 2nd. Um, If you missed hour one, please go and listen to it later today at MyFaithRadio.com or by downloading the Faith Radio app. That is a great way to never miss anything and also have the opportunity to share what you're hearing in real time with others. So just a great way to, um, to be able to share this program and other programming from Faith Radio. I have a breaking news headline, um, and details are few, so um, so I apologize in advance that we only know what we know, and we don't know any more than we know, and so I'm only going to report here on what we do know. There have been two blasts this morning in, uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan, two suicide uh, bomb attacks targeting a military hospital, which is the military hospital that's in the former diplomatic district of Kabul. Uh, gunmen then entered the hospital, and witnesses say that they then heard gunfire. So again, details are few, um, and that's in in large part because there is no international media on the ground in Afghanistan any longer. And so, um, what we are getting is second and third hand reporting. There is one doctor uh, in the hospital who has been reporting out and. He has reported at least 20 killed and dozens wounded in the hospital, but he doesn't have information about those who would have been outside the hospital um, where the bombings actually took place. And so civilian casualties at the entrance um, are are likely. Uh, the Taliban is a saying that um, they don't yet know. No one has taken responsibility, but I think that, you know, we can we can all imagine that that is going to be ISIS-K. And so take a deep breath. And um, this is one of those pray the news situations. We acknowledge that God knows that no one is unaccounted for here, that God cares, that God will redeem. Um, Let's also be praying that the seeds planted over 20 years will, will take root and grow. Um, I mean, I, I, we've heard testimony after testimony about the distribution of the Jesus film, which was translated and copied and distributed to millions of people over 20 years in Afghanistan. And people came to Christ and they downloaded Bibles and they connected with other Christians um, and they uh, planted churches in homes and there's networks of Christians educating a generation of girls and boys. And so let us be people who recognize the faithfulness of God in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. Let us pray the news um, for these precious people who are under attack by their own neighbors. Um, and and let us remember, let us remember that the United States and our allies may have left Afghanistan on August 31st, but God did not. God did not leave. And so let us be praying that God, by his infinite power, um, might, might bear out uh, a redemptive influence 
right now today and bring healing and hope to those precious people. Um, let me uh, let me say this. Uh, the word vax, this is what I was going to lead with, and so I'll just briefly tell you this as well. The word vax is, uh, according to Oxford Languages, which is the creator of the Oxford English Dictionary, the word vax, V-A-X, is word of the year, 2021 word of the year. Now, um, vax can be either a noun or a verb, and it has spawned a litany of derivatives, including, you know, vax cards, being fully vaxxed, I mean, on and on and on. Uh, and my guess is that um, you have heard the word, you have used the word, and that you have a visceral reaction to the word vax. It makes you feel something. I don't know what it makes you feel, but it makes you feel something. So today, uh, as the word as the world is talking about vax being the 2021 word of the year, I want to encourage you to take the conversation in a different direction. What's the word of the year for you? What's the word of the year for you? Um, every year I choose a word uh, to dwell in and dwell on for the year ahead. I mean, over the years I have had as my word of the year abide, hope, joy, peace, holy, chosen, called, equipped, enter, follow me. That was a year that I picked two words. Um, forgiven, blessed, I mean, on and on and on. And by choosing an attribute of God or a reality of being his child, I intentionally set the year in a context, a frame, come what may, come what may. And it's never too late in the year to adopt a word for the year. So let me encourage you to consider adopting a word for the year 2021, and it's probably not going to be vax. The words that capture the culture are constantly changing. The word of God to which we are captive never changes. And so, for Christians, every year, every year, the word of God must be the word of the year. So, there you go. That's my commentary on the word of the year. Let the word of the year for this year for you be the word of God. All right, next up we got Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. We're going to talk about what it means to be woke. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, one more uh, note from a listener. Apparently, vax is not an official Scrabble word. It's not playable in Scrabble. Well, that is clearly going to have to change. All right, Justin Gibney, welcome back, our friend. Welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Are you a Scrabble player? Not really. I played it a couple times, but uh, not really. Mm -hmm. Okay, you would be good at it. You're a word. You're a word guy. Okay, we're going to talk about a word today, and the word is woke. And um, I heard a conversation on secular radio yesterday, people calling in, um, really arguing with one another about this word and its meaning. And it occurred to me that, you know, it's possible that not everyone should use the word and people who have been using the word for a long time should tell the rest of us what it actually means instead of culture using the word in ways that, you know, are potentially grossly inappropriate so Mm -hmm. i just thought i'd ask you from your perspective what does the word woke mean 
originally, uh, my understanding of it is uh, it's it's something that came out the, out of the black community, and the idea was you are awake to what's going on, right? Like you're paying attention, you're aware, you're paying attention to what's going on in society and, and in culture, usually about things that were uh, oppressive or hurting the community. I think since then, it's grown in a way uh, that that hasn't been positive, I think partially because it's used a lot of times as a pejorative, and I, and I get that too, but it started being used as a pejorative because I think it also, you know, was kind of co-opted by corporations and all that other stuff. And so I, I think the word is different than it was initially uh, used. I think for Christians, I mean, the, the concept of being awake or or awakening, waking up, and therefore being woke in its original, but the original meaning is really very positive. Like there's a very positive need for people to wake up to what is going on, to wake up to um, realities beyond what we see. Um, and so do you think there's a redemptive opportunity here for Christians in the conversation of the day to, I mean, to say, to ask people, what do you mean when you're using that word? And then to lay claim to what it means to be genuinely awake. Yeah, I mean, I think for Christians, it's always important to uh, use words in in a charitable way. Uh, make sure that we're trying to really understand what people are, are getting at and say, hey, how does my use of this word, you know, I- impact people and, and make them feel Uh Words are always thrown around. I mean, I, I've used woke in a lot of different ways, uh, some positive, sometimes even as a pejorative uh, when, you know, there's some excesses attached to it. But but I do think we should be careful. I think we should be considerate of uh, what others mean, uh, what folks who are hurting mean by saying that and, and making sure that we're giving them a, a hearing and uh, as much understanding as we can. Yeah, I think that that counsel to use words charitably is really good. I guess what I was thinking um, Justin, is when I hear the word used and I know it's being used in a way that is not charitable, I feel like that's an opportunity for me as a Christian to say to that person, what What do you mean when you use that word and how are you intending that that to land? And then to reflect to them what I feel when I hear them use that term, like how I'm responding to that, and then to lay claim to it in a different way. Um, and that's sort of my attempt to reframe, uh, you know, reframe at least in one moment how a word is being used in a way that I recognize as pejorative, but I don't want to just directly say to that person, you know, I don't, I don't want to create a, a confrontation. I'd like for there to be a mutual learning if possible. Um, and so, yeah, so I think I was, um, I had a scenario in mind when I asked you the question and I didn't, I didn't tell you what the picture in my head was. No, 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 that's fine. I mean, you know, we again, we all have to make sure that we're not using words to dismiss people. And I I think one of the problems with the woke label is that often it's used by folks who are a little more conservative as a means of just dismissing anyone who talks about justice or anyone who talks Mm -hmm. about, you know, equality. Oh, that's just woke. And so we dismiss it and move on. Christians always have to be uh, very careful uh, to stay away from using words that allow us to dismiss things that we should be paying attention to, to dismiss things that make us uncomfortable or would challenge us. And I'm afraid the word woke has been used in that way uh, too often. I think that is um, very insightful and 100% accurate. All right, Justin Gibbony and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about 
two parties and maybe the conversation about getting beyond two parties. Is it even possible? And if it's possible, how do we do it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Justin Gibney. You can find him at and campaign. That's a n d campaign dot o r g. Check out his book, Compassion and Conviction. It's a guide to faithful civic engagement. Um, Justin, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about the divide and the division and the language um, that we're hearing in in the conversations in public today. I hear the word, uh, or I hear, I, I mean, I even hear people talking about taking up arms against their neighbors. I, I hear crazy talk about, I mean, the the words civil war have been used. Um, we have got to get beyond uh, the the ever-deepening division between two parties, and we've got to get, in my view, talking about common ground, common concerns, and a common way forward. And I guess I'm wondering how you see that happening. Well, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to see that happening uh, in society in general uh, without first happening within the body of Christ. Um, mm. And I think, and I've probably said this before, I think we have an opportunity because you have biblical Christians on both sides of the aisle to really look at what we have in common, to look at our, our common principles and be peacemakers. Uh, that's, you know, you're talking about the word, word of the year. I think peacemaking should be one that people should consider because are we really supposed to be these, uh, soldiers on behalf of progressivism and conservatism, or is there something much greater that we should be leading people toward? Uh, and, and that's a question I think people really need to answer because if there's going to be healing, uh, it has to come from the church. And we have to step up and, and push aside these ideologies and partisanship to do what's right. Yeah, and part of our history as Christians in the United States um, is a problem. I mean, as soon as you say that, because we are like the people who just constantly divide and divide and divide and divide in terms of um, the local expression of the church and even nationally, you know, as denominations. And so the internal fighting in in local communities at the church level and then nationally at the denominational level, it sort of breeds contempt. Um, and it's a, it's a terrible public witness, but it also doesn't, doesn't provide what you're talking about, which is the foundation for, uh, us moving together as a people, as one people. Yeah, uh, that's right. I mean, you know, there's always going to be some, you know, squabbling here and there, but to be on such a big scale to where we can't, we, we are more in our tri our ideological tribes than we are, you know, as far as in the body of Christ that we see each other as Republicans or Democrats or conservatives and pro- or progressives before we see each other as, as Christians who have a shared faith and a shared great commandment and, uh, and all those things. And so we need to do a lot of work again on peace. Peacemaking has to be more important than political wins. And until that's the case, uh, we're going to be in, in trouble. So let's just talk about that practically for a moment. Um, give us an example or tell us a story um, about peacemaking in a particular relationship or related to a particular issue in your, in, you know, in a local community. Like, like functionally tell us how to make peace. 
Sure. I think, you know, it, it, we've, we've started to do something similar in Atlanta. You can take housing uh, where, <clears throat> excuse me, where, you know, some white evangelicals uh, on the probably on the northern side of the city could say that it's really not a problem that they have. Uh, but we've been able to get folks together in what I feel is peacemaking to say, even if it's not a problem next door to me, if there is an issue with affordable housing in my city, then I have to take uh, I have to uh, take responsibility for it. And, and we've seen some folks do that and be able to come together and say, no, if it's if it's a problem in the city, it's a church problem. And we need to to do this just based on the based on human dignity. And so I think it's finding an issue coming together and putting partisanship aside to do what's right. And it's that sacrifice. It's that uh, the spending of that type of political and social capital that allows us is one of the ways that allows us to start to heal and, and be peacemakers and get away from the polarization. Yeah. And spending identifying and then spending um, social or political capital, I think then produces a moral capital that we can then in turn spend in policymaking. And we don't have moral capital because we haven't spent um, the, the personal and the social capital where, you know, where it's needed at the local level. That's right. If, if we're always just about our power, if we see politics as a means of gaining power and making sure that we get everything we want and we have ironclad protections for, for anything for us, then we, you know, then we do lose some credibility among other groups, and 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 we have to be willing to sacrifice for others. This is a self-sacrificial faith, and that doesn't stop uh, in the voting booth or or at the door of, of where they're creating policy. Yeah, and that's a. I, I think that people have come to imagine, Justin, that um, when we talk about sacrifice and we talk about the sacrifices of faith. Somewhere along the way, that got separated out from, I'm going to genuinely sacrifice for my neighbor. I'm going to genuinely, especially the neighbor who lives um, in a part of town that I prefer not to visit, um, that I can protect myself from, that I am, um, that I am, that I don't have, I don't have to go there. And so part of this is is reanimating in our generation, in our day, the incarnation, like going where, you know, you maybe your sense of personal glory doesn't require that you go, but love requires you go there. Um, love requires that you, I mean, and I'm going to use these terms in, because I hope that they land on people's hearts and heads. You might have to condescend from, you know, the your relative uh, place of security and glory in in. Into the reality that people are living in right around you, um, or across town from you, and and recognize that that's what Jesus would do, and that's who He is. So, that's my short sermon for this morning. No, that's good. I, I love it. I think when we talk about self-sacrifice, yes, there's a spiritual aspect to it that's very, very important. But it's not just spiritual. It has, you know, there's a, a material, an aspect of how it, we relate to our neighbors and our interactions. Uh, and so we don't want to run away from that because sometimes that can be more uncomfortable than the spiritual side. Or, or we, you know, we feel we have to actually sacrifice more uh, and we're not willing to do that. Yeah, actual sacrifice, actual sacrifice. All right, Justin, um, as always, it's a joy to talk with you. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing each and every day. Um, thank you for the way that 
you and your wife are raising your boys. Um, we love for we love to see the glimpses of that on your social media as well. Mm-hmm. You guys can uh, check out what Justin is doing at the And Campaign, And Campaign dot org. You can follow him on social media as well. Justin, thanks so much. All right, take care. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. All right, do you need some prayer today? Do you need some encouragement? Invite you to come to MyFaithRadio.com and share a prayer request with us. You can also share your prayer requests on the text line, 877-933-2484. If you want to call and leave us a message on the prayer line, you can do that at that same number, 877-933-2484. We love to be praying with you and for you about the concerns of your life on this day. You'll also, if you visit MyFaithRadio.com, see an opportunity to enter the drawing for one of the Prepare Him Room um, devotional packets uh, that we're sending out in anticipation of the season of Advent. And so uh, lots of great things to check out at MyFaithRadio.com. Tracy McKenzie uh, is going to join me next. So if you're not familiar with him, like he is one of the best explainers explainers of American history, how we got to where we are, where we stand now, and what it means to remember that we live in time. That's one of his quotes. Um, He joins us next to talk about his brand new book, We the Fallen People, The Founders and the Future of American Democracy. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is Max Licato. Does your view of God include a certain relief and a dramatic deliverance? This is no small question. Indeed, that is the question. For most people, their summary of life reads, we live in a beautiful but broken world, and we just make the best of it and die. Boy, God offers a better story, and his story ends in a better place. His story says, our Creator made this world and did not destine it for brokenness. His death gave birth to eternal life. He arose from the dead and is recreating our world and invites all of us to be a part of it. And one day He will restore this world to its intended beauty and reclaim His family, and we will live with Him forever. That's the story God offers. Is it your story? I sure hope so. This is Max Licato. We're talking now with Tracy McKenzie. Um, he is the author of a really, really good book on Thanksgiving that if you missed it, you should go back and get. Um, he also blogs at uh, Faith and American History, and, and, and it's just great content and commentary. We're talking today specifically about his brand new book, We the Fallen People, The Founders and the Future of American Democracy. Tracy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Great to be with you. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So um, I want to start with this. What does it mean to remember that we live in time? <laughs> oh, you're you're reading something from my blog. Basically, that we uh, we are creatures who are um, we're not Teflon creatures that can sort of remove ourselves from the 
the context, the flow of, of human experience across time. And what that means is, is that the past is constantly shaping us. Uh, and to pretend otherwise is just, just to ignore something that's hugely significant uh, to who we are. So this conversation about the past and the past shaping us, um, I see more often people seeking to reshape the past in our image. I, I see people looking back at the past and trying to hold people in the past accountable to the values of today. Or I see them looking back and imagining we have things in common with the people in the past that we don't have in common with them. Um, can you just talk about where we are in history, in time, and how we view particularly the founders of this country um, and help us see things the way they saw them that we might see things today more clearly? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think of, um, well, well, first of all, just uh, really quickly, we live in a society that largely uh, ignores the past. Uh, or, uh, as you, I think, have already suggested, sort of tries to recreate it uh, in our image. Uh, and what that tends to do then is ensure that we really don't learn anything uh, from uh, the past. Uh, I uh, think a classic example is what I focus on in the book, which is the sort of values that we take uh, largely unconsciously into the public square. Uh, the reason I wrote the, the book is actually to give us an opportunity to revisit the uh, framers of our Constitution specifically and, and ask ourselves, how do they understand uh, the human condition? How do they understand the human heart? And how did that inform the way they thought about the proper structure of, of government? Uh, and when we do that, we see that we have long ago uh, sort of moved away from the values that uh, informed our Constitution, but we're not really conscious of that. I mean, uh, many of the Christians that I speak to assume that uh, the values that that they hold, the values that uh, they bring to uh, the public square are exactly the ones that the framers of the Constitution, the founding fathers had, uh, and they're sort of shocked when they find that that's not always the case. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the values that they had versus the values that we have, um, and let's specifically talk about the human heart and the way they saw it, because that's really what you delve into in the book. And again, the book is we, the fallen people, the founders, and the future of American democracy. And yes, I do have copies to give away. So if you'd like to enter the drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. I know, I asked a question and then I made a statement. So I'll go back and ask the question again. So our values, the values that we bring to the conversation versus understanding what the values of the founders were, um, and, and specifically their values or their understanding of the human heart. Uh, because if we don't understand that, then we don't understand what they, what they sought to found. Sure, absolutely. So um, uh, just to, to boil it down, uh, it's captured in the title. They would have described uh, or understood human nature uh, in the terms that Christians apply when we talk about human nature being fallen. Uh, they didn't always use that term, but what they meant basically is that we uh, seek our own interests above all. That's sort of the way we come into the world that characterizes the way that we relate for the most part. Uh, they knew that men and women were capable of, of acts of kindness and courage and generosity, but they said our default is self-interest. Uh, they, they would have said that um, self-interest is in the driver's seat, basically. And what that means is, is that power is always dangerous. It's, it's dangerous whoever wields it. Doesn't matter if it's a king or a dictator. 
doesn't matter if it's a popularly elected legislature. It doesn't matter if it's just the majority of the people. Power combined with our human nature of self-interest is dangerous uh, in that we're often willing to use that power to advance our own interests, even when it harms others. So when you look at the Constitution, uh, all of the checks and balances and separations of powers that we learn about in junior high, uh, they all only make sense uh, from that understanding uh, that, um, that we are fallen. How that compares with our understanding today, uh, I think is pretty striking. Because if you look at uh, survey data that have been done over the last several decades, the answers come back pretty consistently that a large majority of Americans agree that human beings are good by nature. We're, we're basically good. Uh, surveys typically say somewhere between two thirds and three quarters of Americans agree with, with that understanding. One of the things that's very striking is that when the surveys ask people to identify their own uh, faith perspective, it doesn't much matter whether uh, the respondent identifies as Christian or not. Uh, uh, the, the typical Christian respondent to these surveys is going to say men and women are basically good. Uh, and what that means is we've effectively uh, repudiated the, the most foundational understanding that the framers of the Constitution brought to their understanding of government. Uh, and so I argue in the book that, that we've gone sort of off the tracks in that regard, and we went off the tracks a long, long time ago. This is not just something that's happened in the last uh, generation or so. So I think that when um, when people refer to America and they use the, the language of it's a Christian nation, this is in part what they're talking about. They just don't have language for it. And so I feel like one of the things that you're doing, Tracy, is giving us some particular specific language related to what we thought the founders were up to um, and how we thought they thought about things and why that matters today. Um, but we didn't we didn't until now have a, you know, have a, a place to say, okay, this is an example of what I thought the founders saw and understood and were trying to do. And so the language of Christian nation is sloppy and not precise and not helpful, but the language of we, the fallen people is very helpful um, and very precise and accurate. And so I think that, um, uh, I think that's a real gift. I think it's a it helps us have a better conversation um, in the culture and with one another. We're talking with uh, Tracy McKenzie. We're talking about his brand new book, We the Fallen People, The Founders and the Future of American Democracy. We're going to pivot to a conversation about how this impacts the future right after a very brief break. We'll be right back. We're talking with uh, Professor Tracy McKenzie. He's the author of We the Fallen People. I invite you to also check out his blog, Faith in American History. I loved his book on Thanksgiving dinner. Um, it's just, uh, well, Thanksgiving in general, but the, the, the part on Thanksgiving dinner I think is just brilliant. Um, so maybe we will talk with him about that Um Prior, prior to Thanksgiving, or I'll talk about it, even if he's not around to talk about it. Today, we're talking about we the fallen people. Um, and Tracy, when we talk about recovering our view of ourselves as fallen people, I mean, you then make the argument, this is really important to the project of democracy. So can you talk about the connection of those two things? Yeah, absolutely, Carmen. Uh, I think it, <clears throat> it begins with um, 
uh, the pattern that we've fallen into, which I think is an unbiblical pattern, which is to think of ourselves as uh, our, meaning whatever group we're identifying with, as, as holy righteous uh, and those who disagree with us uh, as the source of all that is, um, you know, fallen around us. And I think a, a real biblical understanding of the impact of the fall on humanity says that uh, that line, and I'm drawing here from a famous uh, quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the line between good and evil is, is not something that separates us from them, however we define that. It's a line that runs right through every human heart. Uh, and when I look at uh, the really polarized climate that we have, the poisoned kind of public dialogue that uh, is everywhere uh, in the United States today, I see a society that absolutely externalizes uh, evil, uh, that says we are good, they are bad. Uh, and I think the Christian approach uh, says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, not uh, I thank you that I'm not like uh, other men. And I just believe that recapturing that understanding of the human condition that the scripture teaches us would lead us to be much more humble uh, about our own positions and ideally more charitable uh, about others. Uh, it's not a, a immediately a solution to all the problems that assail us, but I'm most concerned about the testimony of the church. Uh, and I think um, it would it would really heighten our testimony to bring that sense both of humility and charity that we don't always uh, succeed in mustering. That is so helpful. Um, and those words, it's interesting, humility and charity um, came up in our earlier conversation with Justin Gibney today. So I think that there are a number of people seeing and speaking to common themes right now from a Christian perspective. And if we can not only hear one another, but actually take steps of faith in these directions, that there is an opportunity uh, to redeem what's happening in the culture. But I think we are at a very, very fragile point. Can you, can you just talk about um, you know, your sense as a historian of where we are at this critical, is this a critical point in human history or in American history? It feels like it is to me. And I hear, I hear, saber rattling that is very, very troubling. And I hear language that is hard to walk back. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's no doubt, Carmen. You know, as a historian, I'm going to be a little bit cautious about saying how the future is going to remember our moment. But it sh I, I sure do believe uh, that we live at, a, at a, um, a very fraught moment in time. I've spent much of my adult life studying the American Civil War, so I'm very familiar with uh, uh, deeply divided, polarized uh, eras. And I would say that we are as divided as we have been as a nation at any time other than uh, at the time of the American Civil War. I am concerned about the fragility of American democracy, and I am concerned about the future uh, for uh, American democracy. Uh, surveys suggest that a significant proportion of Americans now um, are deeply disenchanted with democracy. Uh, they don't believe that it's delivering. Um, surveys suggest that anywhere from a quarter to a third of respondents say uh, that they actually look favorably on a form of government where a strong leader is not uh, required to be accountable to an elected legislature. Uh, and that that's just another way of saying dictatorship that ought to terrify us, that a third of Americans would think that that's even uh, conceivably acceptable. Uh, and so it is a, a difficult time. We don't need to panic. Uh, I think there's reason... Uh, to believe that we can right the ship uh, by the grace of God. 
but it's not something we should ever take for granted. G.K. Chesterton once said that democracy is never in greater danger than we, when we presume that democracy is safe. Uh, and we should not take for granted that our democracy is uh, permanent. Um, it is a fragile thing. Uh, and the work of sustaining democracy is a work that never goes away. Every generation has to recommit itself uh, to that task. So how do we do that? Let's let's just talk about some practical applications. Like how how do I as an individual work on the project of democracy today? Well, you know, in, in terms of uh, the individual voter, and let's say the individual Christian uh, voter, uh, I would would start by <laughs> this is the whole uh, I guess thrust of my book by uh, reminding myself what the Bible says about me, uh, and and not trying to. Uh, allow myself to be drawn to messages uh, that are, are telling me something that's not true, uh, so, telling me something that's not true about who I am and about who those who might disagree with me uh, are. Uh, we don't need to be rewarding movements uh, that are speaking a message that's really antithetical to the to the gospel. Uh, that's saying, if only this individual, or if only that political movement uh, was successful. Uh, then our problems would go away. Uh, our hope is never going to lie in any kind of political institution. Now, as uh, citizens of a free society, we have to vote. We have to pursue policies that uh, we believe are an expression of, of love of neighbor and love of God. Uh, but we must never fall into the trap uh, of uh, believing that our hope lies ultimately in one of these movements. Uh, I, I think doing that might make Christians a little bit uh, more wise, a little bit more uh, independent, a little bit more difficult to fit into any neat and tidy box uh, in the various categories uh, that we uh, have in the public square today. Uh, it might, uh, in the long run, uh, make a difference. But let me just say that my greatest burden is not for the future of American democracy. It's for the testimony of the church. Uh, and so I actually think one of the things that the church needs to do is worry less about the political results of its behavior uh, and keep its eye constantly on what is it saying about uh, our creator, about our Lord? What is it saying uh, about our understanding of the gospel uh, and its importance for a fallen world? Yeah, and I think that gets to the 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 crux of the matter in terms of how we identify and who we identify with and if i if i don't identify first and foremost with christ and as a christian and as a kingdom person that he's my king and and that's my kingdom um and i instead identify first in a way that is nationalistic that's that is the real challenge at least that i face tracy in the conversations that i'm having um, with people in the culture today. Like that, that's it. That's the crux of it right there. Yeah, totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, and I think that's a challenge that's never going to go away. Uh, it's a temptation to a, a, a false God. Uh, you know, in our fallenness, we will even make good things uh, idols, uh, not just uh, evil things. Uh, and so it, it's, a constant, it's a constant battle. And it's one of the reasons Christians need one another to continuously be reminding us uh, one another of what is true. Uh, sort of drawing us back uh, to uh, our our first order priority. All right, that's what uh, Tracy McKenzie is doing in this book. He's drawing us back. That's a just great way of describing it. The book is We the Fallen People, the Founders and the Future of American Democracy. I've got some copies to give away today. If you want to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. 
this is a really good book uh, to use as a conversation starter with other Christians. This is like a good book club book. It's a great discussion book. So if you're looking for um, looking for something like that, let me just really encourage you to, to dig into this. Tracy, thank you as always. And even if you can't come back and talk with us before Thanksgiving, I'm just letting you know right now, I'm going to be talking about uh, what you say about Thanksgiving with our um, with our listening audience, because it's also so good. I love that book. Well, thank you so much, Carmen. It's been a, a real pleasure to talk with you today. It's really, it's really wonderful. All right, we'll be right back. All right, where in the word are you today? I am in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Maybe you want to join me there. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Let us not forget that either. All right, have a great day. Make it a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.